Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. It's good to see you all. Welcome to those joining online as well, which I realize might be a slightly larger group with the loss of uh, an hour's sleep. I'm glad you're here. This morning, I want to invite you to remember, reflect on a time when it was very, very important that you had a source of light. When was there a time when you were really, really thankful that you had a light source with you? For me, it was a time uh, when I was hiking at night. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that most, if not many, of my night hikes have been unintentional. And... uh, This was one of those occasions. I was hiking, this was quite a few years ago, I was hiking with my friend in New Hampshire. We were on a a section of the Appalachian Trail and uh, there were several factors kind of conspiring against us, most of our own doing. Uh, One is we already knew it was going to be a long day, but somehow we had miscalculated the mileage by I think it was three or four miles. We also ended up that day lingering long over our lunch. And then for some reason, uh, in the middle of the afternoon, we decided to play a lot of Frisbee uh, in an open open field that we found. So all that added up to us uh, being out significantly after dark. So as it got dark and as there was no moon in the sky, at least that we could see, uh, we just felt our pupils dilate and we were trying to follow the trail. We were trying to follow the footpath we were stumbling over rocks and roots. We were trying to see the white blazes on the trees that marked the path, but we were really, really struggling. And then somehow, in the middle of all this, I remembered that deep in my pack, probably buried in a first aid kit somewhere, I had one of those little keychain squeeze flashlights. Now, if you were to go to like an REI or something today, if you bought a little flashlight, keychain, it would be a bright, almost blinding LED. But this was back in the day when it was this gift shop style uh, squeeze light that was just kind of this dull yellow glow. But eventually, with us taking turns uh, in the front, squeezing this light until our our thumbs and forefingers got sore, trying to guide our way down the trail, Uh, We found our way to that campsite, to the shelter, sometime after 10 o'clock that night, um, where we were greeted by something along the lines of, what the heck, by the campers that were already snug in their sleeping bags when we got there. It was a rough night, but we, I can't imagine to this day what would have happened if I had not had this keychain stuffed in my pack and had thought to remember it. In dark times and dark places, light is, it's essential And there are times when even a little light can go a long way. In the gospel stories of the Bible, these stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we read about the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus was a bringer of light. He brought light into dark situations. During these Sundays of Lent, we're looking especially at the stories of the gospel of John. This morning we'll look at a late night encounter and conversation between Jesus and a man who apparently didn't realize how just in the dark he truly was. But I invite you to pray with me.
Dear Jesus, we want to see you this morning. We want to have your light open up our understanding, the understanding of our minds, but also our hearts. Shine a light, Lord, we ask in your name. Amen. So let's look at John chapter three, beginning in verse one. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. The miraculous signs, which are the miracles Jesus performed, are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So I just want to pause there and uh, have us notice a few things. First, we see that Nicodemus is described as a Jewish religious leader. So that means he was a member of what was called the Sanhedrin, kind of this ruling body of the Jews that, that dealt with pretty much everything that had to do with Jewish daily life. In their culture, there wasn't really this, this separation between uh, secular court and religious authorities. They were all one and the same, and that was the Sanhedrin. And we're told that uh, Nicodemus was a member of that body and also a member of the sect called the Pharisees. And last week, Pastor Chris introduced us to the Pharisees as the group of Jews who were uh, certainly most doggedly committed to doing everything possible to live according to the letter of God's law, the law that was delivered to God's people through Moses. And as part of that, they also interpreted or translated what they believed was right and righteous living according to God's law into a set of rules that served as what Chris called a fence around the law, a fence designed to keep themselves and others from falling into guilt according to God's law. But the set of rules that they came up with ended up piling into a burdensome and complicated list of do's and don'ts that left the people exhausted and confused and often even distracted from the heart of God's law itself. Now, it seemed that their motives might often have been good to try to lead righteous lives, to try to honor God with their lives. But somehow the Pharisees frequently seemed to end up off track and frequently in conflict with Jesus. We're told that Nicodemus, who came that night, was a member of this group as well, the Pharisees. But we're also told that Nicodemus was a person who seemed to have at least some belief, some faith in Jesus. Toward the end of John chapter 2, just ahead of the story of this meeting at night, we read that when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Now, it seems likely that Nicodemus was among these people because when he tells Jesus, we all know that God has sent you to teach us, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you, it's clear he's not speaking on behalf of the Sanhedrin because that group had already butted heads with Jesus over his clearing of the temple of money changers and merchants that had gathered there. That night, Nicodemus basically came to Jesus to say, I believe that you have come from God. To which Jesus replies, maybe mysteriously, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. John continues, 
What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus that something deep, something spiritually significant has to happen in the life of a person in order for that person to enter the kingdom of God. Something as powerful and obvious and even as mysterious as human childbirth. People give birth to people, Jesus says, but God's spirit gives birth to a renewed spirit, a transformed spirit, a reborn spirit within the people whom God created in his image. People obviously don't have a choice to be born, but Jesus seems to be telling Nicodemus that he needs to make a choice. If he wants to enter the kingdom of God, he needs to choose to enter, to open up his life to the work of God's spirit, that his life, his spirit, might be transformed, might be reborn. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus tells Nicodemus, there's something spiritually deep and significant going on here, something deeply spiritual at stake. He rebukes Nicodemus gently not understanding what he's talking about. He says, you're a respected Jewish teacher. You're intimately familiar with scripture. How is it that you're not understanding this? Don't you remember about the snake in the desert? Jesus is referring to an episode in Israel's history when they traveled through the desert after being rescued from slavery in Egypt by their God who led them through the desert through a period of 40 years until they came into the promised land of Canaan. The story Jesus refers to is found in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 21, where we read that the Israelites traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness. There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food, which actually was bread, manna, that had been given them by God. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, 
We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. It's really interesting that God didn't answer the prayer, didn't answer the plea of the people exactly as they had asked it. The people pleaded that God would take the snakes away. And instead, God sent a remedy that required his people to respond. And Jesus took this somewhat obscure story from the Old Testament and used it as a picture for his own identity, a description of his own mission. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus reminded Nicodemus through this old story that all the people in the time of Moses had to do if they'd been bitten by a snake was to look at the bronze snake and they would be saved. But they did have to look. And so if someone was bitten by one of these snakes and they didn't happen to be close to the, to the pole, wherever it was established in the camp, they would have to go and find it. And when they did, they would be saved. Jesus says, Nicodemus, there's something going on here. There's something right in front of you that's deeper, that's more powerful than that story of snakes in the desert. Jesus says that he, the son of man, the son of man, this title used for the Messiah in the Old Testament book of Daniel, the son of man is now being lifted up in the sight of humankind to be believed in so that eternal life not just snake bite rescue, can be given to anyone. Nicodemus told Jesus, I've seen you, I've believed. And now Jesus invites him to lean into that belief and to open his life to the work of the Spirit that he might, might be brought into new and eternal life in God's kingdom. And then John, who is the disciple of Jesus who wrote this gospel, goes on, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but the people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. John says that God sent his son, Jesus, into the world as an act of rescue, on a rescue mission, as a means of salvation, 
not as an act of judgment, not as a means of condemnation. God sent Jesus as light. We're told that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Maybe he was making a stealthy move trying to act in secret so his peers on the Sanhedrin wouldn't find out. Or maybe he was simply making a strategic choice, trying to figure out when can I get Jesus in a time he's most likely to be alone and available for a one-on-one conversation. At any rate, we know that they met at night, probably wherever Jesus happened to be staying. And they had a conversation that most Bible scholars assume went on for a long time. There's probably more than the two minutes of dialogue that John gives us here. I imagine a place maybe similar to what's represented on the platform here this morning. A place where people can look into each other's eyes and have quiet, undisturbed, focused conversation. A place where people can really listen and pay attention to one another. Because they met at night, I imagine there was some source of light there that night. But what John seems to be telling us is that Jesus that night was by far the brightest light in the room. Light, we know, is incredibly helpful. My friend and I were reminded of that all too clearly that night when I dug that squeeze keychain flashlight out of my pack. Light can help us from stumbling around in the darkness, from tripping on things. But sometimes light is scary, too. Because light shines in a way that can expose us, that can reveal our faults and our flaws. John says, God's light came into the world, but all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And I'm reminded of those black lights that they use sometimes to to try to find faults and flaws and things that might otherwise look okay. A hospital, or excuse me, a hotel bed, for example, might seem completely fresh, completely fine, until an inspector shows up with a black light and reveals some unsettling truths. People with something to hide don't want it brought out into the light. Light reveals things. It shows why people lurking in darkness were hiding out there in the first place. John says some people actually run from the light that God sent. Not even just for fear of exposure, but also because they really don't want to give up those things that the light reveals. Those things that God's light reveals and puts in such a a bad meaning, honest and true light. But the same light that reveals our brokenness, because yes, we are all broken, is also the source of our healing and wholeness. God can cleanse us. Light is used not just to expose flaws, but often for for healing and remedy as well. Light therapy can be extremely helpful to people suffering from seasonal or other forms of clinical depression. We know that sunlight for all of us produces vitamin D, which we need for our, the health of our bones and muscles and teeth. In general, we have a sense that light is good and helpful. 
John reveals that Jesus Christ is the light sent from God. Yes, to expose evil for what it is, because God's light is holy and perfect, and evil just shows up for what it is very naturally in the light of God. But more than anything, according to John, Jesus was sent as a light that's a beacon shining the way to eternal life. John says, this is how much God loves the people God created. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus took time to meet with Nicodemus that night to hear his questions, to respond, to pay attention to him. Yes, he revealed his surprise at how uh, thick this Jewish teacher seemed to be, but he was patient. He was kind. Jesus showed him the way. He lighted the path for Nicodemus. And he invited him to open up his life to the truth of who and what was standing right in front of him. He pointed Nicodemus to the Holy Spirit who was ready and willing and very able even that night, to bring about a metamorphosis in the life of Nicodemus, to rebirth his spirit, to change him from the inside out, to guide him to follow the light through the door into eternal and abundant life. Now, John doesn't tell us how Nicodemus responded that night. This conversation actually ends rather abruptly in John's gospel. But we do see Nicodemus show up a couple more times in John's stories. In John chapter 7, we hear the Sanhedrin. Again, Nicodemus was a member of that ruling body. The Sanhedrin's grumbling about Jesus, and Nicodemus is still there. Is there a single one of us, rulers or Pharisees, who believes in him, the leaders said. This foolish crowd follows him, but they're ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man? Before giving him a hearing, he asked, and they replied, are you from Galilee too? Meaning to insult him. Search the scriptures and see for yourself, no prophet ever comes from Galilee. So that day, Nicodemus stood up for Jesus. And then Nicodemus shows up one more time. After Jesus had been lifted up on the cross, crucified, and then his body was taken down. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Jesus, or excuse me, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. So we never hear more dialogue from Nicodemus. We don't hear him articulate his faith. But he seems to show up in a way that would indicate that he has counted himself a follower of Jesus. John's inclusion of him in this gospel seems to indicate that what happened that night 
when Jesus met with him privately, resulted in something stirring inside Nicodemus, and he responded. Maybe like Joseph, he had been a secret disciple. But I love how even Joseph is described by John. He said he had been a secret disciple of Jesus. I think if he hadn't shown his hand at that point, coming to ask for the body was pretty much coming into the light. And Nicodemus was right there with him, bringing all the ointment and spices that he himself had purchased. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And so this morning, I want to invite all of us to consider what, what's our response to the light that has been shown to us? What's our response to this light that has come into the world because of God's deep love and desire for our rescue and salvation? Have you ever allowed the life, the truth, the words, the love, the light of Jesus to truly penetrate into your spirit to transform you from the inside out? Has there been a time in your life when you said, yeah, I've, I've got pretty ugly stuff inside me and I don't want to hide that. I actually want to bring that out into the light because I trust that God, as he sees it, as it's revealed for what it is, God will forgive me because he loves me. Like I said before, we're all broken. The Bible says we are all broken. We've all fallen short of what God intends for us and calls us to do. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. But in that same book of Romans where that sobering truth is revealed, we find the same good news that was read earlier this morning, that while we were utterly helpless, the translation read said, as we were still following our bad and broken ways, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God lit up the runway when we were destined for a crash landing. He showed us the extent of his love. He lighted the path to forgiveness, to new life. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. A place of undeserved privilege. Not because we fixed our own brokenness, but because we said, God, would you please fix it? Would you please restore us? Would you please redeem me? And so if this morning you'd like to hear more about this life of undeserved privilege, this, this free gift that's offered because of God's love, I invite you um, this morning to meet with those of us who are ready to talk with you, to listen, to pray. Um, just outside the sanctuary, you'll find offices on the left and the right where we'd be happy to, to meet with you and talk about um, how God's light
has showed us the path to eternal and abundant life. And how we'd love to share that with you. Jesus came as light, light that shines brightly, especially in dark places. And for those of us who have let that light transform us from the inside out, it's my prayer that each of us would be, would be faithful, faithful in using this new life we've been given to walk in the light, the, along the lighted path that God has showed us, a path of faithfulness. It won't be a path of perfection but a path, we pray, of growing faithfulness as we live as God called us and as we share the good news of new life in Christ with those around us. I invite you to pray with me. Gracious, forgiving, and light-shining God, this morning we worship you and we praise you and we thank you for shining light into our lives through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came as the true light of the world, God, in this season of Lent, may the light of Christ penetrate our lives more deeply than ever. May Jesus be drawn into sharper and brighter focus. Thank you, Father, for shining light in the darkness, for forgiveness of sin through your Son, through the gift in him of eternal life. We pray in his holy and precious name. Amen.